Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And normally on The Stack, we talk about new comic books that have come out this week. But unfortunately, as many of you know, there are no or virtually no new comic books coming out because of the current coronavirus pandemic that is happening, which obviously our hearts go out to the comic book shops. We want to read these new books, uh, but we understand everybody being closed and appreciate the comic book industry supporting everybody. Uh, But this does also give us a good chance to start doing a throwback stack. Something that you all have requested many, many times over the years, and we have viciously ignored you in the absolute (laughs) worst way, and now we're finally doing it. The chickens have come home to roost. Yes, definitely. Great. Uh, We're going to kick it off. We we did a little bit of throwback last week on the stack, mixed in with some of the... We should say, though, that uh, Hurricane Helms finally got to us. He was the one who was like... Squadron Supreme, you assholes. Like, why wouldn't you talk about that? I mean, I was getting there, but sure, you know, blow up my spot, whatever you want to do. Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought you were getting derailed with some Justin bit or something. Uh, Yes. So, yeah, well, this is, uh, this was a suggestion by Hurricane Helms, who we had on the live show a couple of weeks, months, years back. I honestly don't remember. Time has no meaning at this point. Uh, But Squadron Supreme by Mark Grunwald, pencils by John Buscema. Bob Hall, Paul Ryan, and Paul Neary. We're going to be talking about Squadron Supreme number 1 through 12. I will mention, I have it in the collected volume, which threw me for a loop because there's a random Captain America issue that's collected in there. There was a crossover with Squadron Supreme, so we can certainly talk about that as well. Um, But... We're going to talk about the whole volume. We're going to delve into it. If you haven't ever read Squadron Supreme, the original from the 80s, read that first before you come in here, because obviously we're going to back on the 80s. Uh, So we're going to definitely spoil everything and talk about it. But as long as you have read it, uh, let's get into it. I do want to mention a little bit of history of this book first, just to give context if you're not totally aware. Uh, Squadron Supreme, 12-issue maxi-series published by Marvel Comics. It was published between 1985 and 1986. It was hot on the heels of Crisis on Infinite Earths starting to come out, in case you want some context there. Uh, And it wrapped up just as Watchmen was starting. So it comes in the insane three to four year period that I think also includes Secret Wars and other books like that where it was just 
the comic industry was redefining itself. And yeah. to the point, and I think this is something that Hurricane brought up on the live show, is that Squatch of Supreme often gets left off in that conversation. You know, you talk about all these other books, but this is right up there. And as I'm sure we'll get into, as influential as any of those books. Now, to give you a little further context about Squadron Supreme in the comics, they're originally introduced as Squadron Sinister, basically an evil Justice League kind of just sort of stand-ins for the Justice League. They were in the Marvel Universe. They're from an alternate universe. Eventually, there was another alternate universe introduced with a good version of Squadron Sinister called the Squadron Supreme. Uh, they crossed over a bunch of different times with the Avengers and the Defenders. And in particular, there was, I believe, a two-issue crossover with the Defenders where they were taken over by the Serpent Crown and forced to essentially wreck their entire world. Ultimately, they beat the bad guy along with the Defenders. But when they came Came back, their word world was an apocalyptic wreck, and that's where we find them at the beginning of this volume. Now, last little note that I'm sure if you are a comic book fan, you know this because it gets talked about every single year. Uh, but Mark Grunwald, who is the prime driving force behind this and a beloved figure in the comic book industry, uh, he died very suddenly in 1996. He had a heart attack. It turned out it was because of a pre-existing heart condition that he didn't know about. Everybody was stunned and shocked and overwhelmed. They still pay tribute to him, as I mentioned, every single year. Um, but the quirky thing about this that you probably want to know about Squadron Supreme, he was known as a prankster. And one of his last pranks is he left in his will. He said, I want you to take my ashes and put it in Squadron Supreme. And <laughs> this was one of his last edicts, and they figured out how to do it. They put it in the ink to make the trade collection of Squadron Supreme when it was wow. reprinted. So if you get a first edition of Squadron Supreme, the collected edition, Mark Woodwalds, and this is no joke, actual ashes are in the ink. A funny little thing, uh, I have the fourth printing, and there is a note after this thing where his wife is like, yes, in fact, really, we did put his ashes in there. There's a note that says, note, fourth printing contains no ashes. Uh, hey. So the Shame. <laughs> Real Sorry. shame. I immediately threw it out. I was like, why am I reading this garbage book? No, thanks. I, this is what I'm I only for. read Ash printed comics. Um, <laughs> it's not always a famous writer. Sometimes it's random people, animals, mm -hmm. a lot of And you make insects. your own. You make your own as well, right? That's right. That's right. I grind up um, just cockroaches and whatever I can find. Uh, <laughs> cremate them. Tiny, I have a tiny cremation kit for um, all the bugs in New York City. Drop them in. Uh, let me give also good uh, in your milk morning milk. Oh, Chris, uh, too far, too far. Don't put ashes in your milk, everybody. I mean, but maybe I don't know. Maybe we could try it. I feel good. <laughs> let me give a brief, like very quick overview of just sort of the elevator pitch of what's going on in Squadron Supreme. And then before we get into individual things about any of the issues, let's just talk about our general impressions. So the general yes. pitch for the thing is Squadron Supreme. They get back to the world. They find it totally wrecked. People are fighting in the streets over food. The government is in disarray because Nighthawk, who is their Batman stand in, was the president. He wrecked America. And so they decide, you know what? What we need to do is we need to fix America. And so they make it easy. They say, we're going to step in for the United States government. Give us a year, a.k.a. 12 issues of a comic book series once a month, and we will fix America. And if we don't 
that's it. We will step aside. We'll let whatever happened happen. But as is, we're going to start our utopia program and we're going to fix absolutely everything. And so they proceed to do that and do it successfully over the course of 12 issues, but not without issues, specifically with Nighthawk immediately saying, no, this is going to go wrong. You're going to become despots. You're going to become villains just as bad as anybody else. There's no way this is going to work. And so those two things are going in the background where most of it, though there is action and there is very 90s action and there's romance and all the regular comic book things you think were going on. uh, The main thrust of it really is this discussion about whether we can have a utopia and whether superheroes can create a utopia uh, or is it going to be inherently flawed? So that's the pitch of the book. Give me your raw impressions of it. Like overall, what did you think of the story looking back on it now? And was it something that you had read before? I had, I had never read it before and it it's really good. Like I was the fact that this preceded Watchmen and uh, this is not read at all. I feel like at least not at all. It's not given any sort of like spot in the canon near Watchmen. Um, And I think it deserves more recognition um, because it does. uh, It has a lot of the same some thematic things that that Watchmen also does where it's like uh, sort of a a world that's fallen apart. Um, Heroes uh, making choices, but they're wrong uh, sort of all throughout and people whose uh, flaws just disrupt their ability to do their job as as heroes or crime fighters or whatever. Um, and, oh, and overarcher sort of overarching sort of dark moral take, like a lot of that stuff here. And it, uh, it obviously is not, it doesn't quite land, uh, with the same sort of hit as Watchmen does. And I think that's probably why it hasn't, um, really become a lauded series, but there's a lot of great stuff in here. Yeah. I think that, um, it's interesting the fact that this happened before because like a lot of the themes we see in stuff like the matrix uh, talks about like how humans rejected a utopia that they tried to create for them um how like utopia is kind of flawed as a thing and then also like uh you know uh, stuff that uh, was right in uh, oh god why am i playing on the boys series uh, that, uh, like, they're just, I, I was surprised at how much stuff other people have played with. So, like, yeah, maybe it doesn't get as much as play as The Watchman does, but, man, a lot of these ideas are in a lot of the stuff that we read and know, so it was kind of interesting to uh, go back and read it. And it also does have a little bit, uh, I was I had not read this before, so it was really cool to go back and read. It was always one of those ones where people had always talked to me about Squadron Supreme, and uh, so yeah, I was I was happy to read it. Um, and I think that like it, unfortunately, it falls a little bit short with like being legendary, just because it has a lot of the '80s tropes of comics where they're talking and recapping things that happened, like we can't hold on to information, so. Um, I would think that was a little bit of the only negative thing that maybe stuck out to me, like why maybe people don't hold this up as much as Watchmen. Um, But yeah, I was really impressed with this series. I thought it was really cool. A lot of great ideas. I also really liked the talking it out after the fighting and the kind of sharing of ideas was really impressive, that even though they were villains, uh, they still were heard and stuff like that was pretty neat. Uh, but also a lot of this stuff of like 
disguise and manipulation. Like we got to see who people really were and what they were really about, and it was kind of uh, it was impressive. Uh, I think the art and the paneling was was pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, I was the thing that I was surprised with this jumping off a point that you said, Pete, just about the talking is the amount of it that was business meetings was very surprising to me. Yeah, I didn't necessarily mind it, but there's so many things where it's Hyperion, who is the Superman stand in saying, "Okay, squadron, let's go around. Everybody check in about our various jobs. Okay, now go off and do these jobs to the point where. About nine or ten issues in, people are like, man, we really haven't fought anybody in a while. What's going on yeah. here? And it's purposefully like that where it's almost in the background. The thing that gives it this nice metatextual layer is that there is this push between Nighthawk, who I think wants it to be a superhero world, and Hyperion, who wants it to be a different utopian world where superheroes, there's, there's no place for them in it. Uh, and that's... Another thing that it feels like Grunwald was potentially struggling with or working through a little bit, which certainly plays into, beyond it being influential, clearly there is something going on in the comic industry at that point. And I don't have enough of a historical background to talk about it in any intelligent matter, but clearly there was something where like Alan Moore, Mark Grunwald, um, Frank Miller, all of these other uh, node characters of the comic book industry were saying, this is not working. These are the stories I want to tell. I'm commenting on superheroics, but also figuring out how to play with the form at the same time. And the other thing that it's clearly influential in terms of Marvel comics more than anything, I think there's a couple of notes throughout the collected volume where particularly Mark Wade apparently had a lovely relationship with Mark Grunwald. They were huge justice league nerds and used to throw issue numbers back at each other. And they'd be like, 51, and then they'd say the title of it back to each other, which is super dirty, but super fun. But he says, you know, I wouldn't have written Kingdom Come. That would not have happened if it wasn't for this book. And that is something that, again, is not like the same level of conversation, but that's clearly a seminal book in terms of the Marvel canon. The other one that really struck me, particularly in the last couple of issues, is it felt like it was straight up Thunderbolts, which I feel like I don't hear anybody talk about. Particularly, there's this whole thing with villains masquerading as heroes to the point where there's a Moonstone character. There's somebody that looks like Atlas, uh, it was called Atlas, right? For the Thunderbolts right? Uh, and all of those other characters where it just feels like there's all these pieces that even if the, even if the general fan doesn't look at Squadron Supreme as this seminal book, I think Marvel writers are like, oh, this is kind of a Bible. These are little things that I could pick out and use in other places. Yeah. And I think one, the direct sort of, uh, Descendant of this is Supreme Power, a book that um, J. Michael mm-hmm. Straczynski did in the early 2000s, I think, um, that I really liked. And uh, and I can really see, like, it's truly a sequel to this uh, or sort of a reimagining of it. But I also think, yeah. uh, well, where Watchmen um, sort of is a story about – it's a great story, a great narrative about comics – sort of commenting on comics and um, uh, reconstructing them in a way. This feels like a comic story that is just a really smart, uh, dark take on heroes and the flaws they bring to their job, um, very much rooted in normal continuity, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, to me, this really just feels like uh, they – 
the boys took this and just kind of turned it up to 11 and was just like, all right, we're going to yeah. continue this idea and then really fuck with it. I think that this felt so much like the boys when I was reading it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, I want to talk about another broad strokes thing. This is the main thing when I was reading through all the issues of the book that I was wondering about from you guys, what your take is the essential debate that's going on in the book of whether utopia is possible or not. What do you think? Like, what was your takeaway there? Do you feel like were you on Nighthawk side? Were you on Hyperion side? What did you feel, Pete? Well, I think that like. Uh, it's an interesting debate and it's brought up a lot. Like, uh, could you just live on an Island and drink the whole time? You know what I mean? Like, is that possible? Utopia. Is that, yeah. Is that your, I utopia? actually read an article you- about that in the New York times. There was a couple that stayed on a resort during the pandemic because they couldn't get out of it. And they're just having a lovely old time. Very expensive for them though. Yeah. That's the thing. Where do you get the money for that kind of shit? And if it yeah. was free, would you get tired of living that postcard? You know what I mean? Like if you could just, if you told me it was free and you could just sit there on the beach and drink, like, would that be enough for you? I don't think it is. I don't think you told me it works. What about if you could just sit and drink on a podcast for the, all the time? <laughs> yeah, that's it. it would, I would start to make yeah. you crazy. What if it was like not free, but it was still an all-inclusive resort? What about that, Pete? How would you feel about it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but Pete, where is this resort? Yeah, Pete, yeah. if you were in a situation where advantage you advantage of local people and paying them not well, I mean, you know, like what is it, what's really going on? Pete, if you were in a situation where you could buy the all inclusive drinking or not, what would you do? <laughs> I, I'd probably make the mistake of not thinking I needed it and then spend way too much money. Oh, nice. My and man. as a follow up question, what do you prefer, uh, Squatch and Supreme or Sandals? The resort. <laughs> Sandals. Sandals, nice. all right. Uh, uh, Justin, what about you? No, I don't think utopia is possible. And I think that's what sort of the point of this book feels like is for all the good intentions, um, human nature is uh, not satisfied with the status quo. It's always chasing something else. Um, and that inherently becomes selfish at a point. And all these heroes or most of the heroes end up doing something that serves their self-interest above the rest of the team or the rest of the world, and that is their undoing. And we get to see a lot of it. Uh, they actually do come clean. They Because th- the point of the book isn't like everyone actually sucks. It's like, to me, it's more these heroes have flaws and they sometimes succumb to them, but at their core, they're still good. And I, I really like that sort of very nuanced take on it. I think that's another way it's different from Watchmen and a bunch of other comics that were coming out at this time where it was like, look at these monsters. It's like, no, these are still comic book heroes, superheroes who um, are just have a more human side and they are uh, vulnerable to their own flaws. Well, I think they also do a good job on the Utopia bent of – I mean, I was much more on a Hyperion and the Squadron Supreme side the entire time because every single thing is very carefully thought out. The different things that they introduce, they introduce the most controversial thing in the world of the book that they introduce is this uh, B-Mod helmet that basically can change people's brainwaves. They use it to uh, rehabilitate criminals. Essentially, they say, okay, we'll put you in there. You have no more criminal tendencies. You're going to be a helpful member of society. 
the thing about it is like that's a trope that's been used incessantly in comic books, probably before that and definitely since where they've talked about taking out, you know, pieces of your mind. Are you the same person, et cetera? And they have that debate throughout, but they also get around it by saying it's completely voluntary. Like if the criminals don't want to do it, they're not going to make them do it. And there's even a point later in the book where they talk about doing it to somebody who is not a criminal, and everybody's like, what are you talking about? Get the fuck out of here. No, we're not going to do yeah. that. Uh, so they, they explain these things. or things like, very late in the book, another thing that they introduce is essentially cryogenic temples where you can, after you die, they bring you there, they freeze you until they can figure out a way of reversing whatever killed you. So potentially you can live forever. And they say Death that you doing can't that. do it now. What? I'm deaf doing that. I'm deaf doing that too. But again, they're like, hey, it's optional. You don't have to do this. We're not going to take away people's choice to do this. And throughout, they make these very well-reasoned, very careful arguments and work around uh, why would this not work until ultimately we get to the thing at the end where Nighthawk is like, you guys are going to die someday. Somebody else is going to take over. Like, I trust you, but I don't yeah. trust whoever's next. And yeah. Yeah. it's such this. Quick I don't thing trust your end. asshole son is basically exactly. What yeah. And that's this point. It ends this note. Where we're like, Oh man, he's right. Oh, yeah. This sucks. So I don't know. But also it brings up, you know, proper paternity and maternity leave. You know, even if you're a superhero, you know, you got to take time for yourself. Make sure you're taking care of that baby. I was fucking mm-hmm. worried about that baby that whole fucking run. Oh, my God. I was so worried. Are you it's talking fine. about there's a character, Arcana, who's like the Zatanna character. She's pregnant, but she's hiding her pregnancy yep. with magic so that people won't take her out of rotation, take her out of action. Uh, and eventually it does, of course, lead in the final battle between the good guys and the bad guys. It leads to... Uh, her almost getting hurt and going into labor. But then the ultimate thing is actually very hopeful because the last shot is her with the baby. And they're like, here's the next generation. There's promise. There's hope here. Yeah. Yeah. But that poor fucking baby has been through so many battles. Like, so, you know, like, oh, man. You think that baby's like, oh, another battle? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Even though it's not out of the old womb yet? Yeah. I mean, that baby won't be able to sleep unless there's a battle going on. Mm. Yeah. That's right. That's why my my children, I have to keep telling, um, I have to keep doing improv and telling jokes because that's what they were around (laughs) when they were in the womb. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, When my daughter was in the womb, I used to recap episodes of Gossip Girl for her. Uh, and then, wow. and then, and I was like, oh, I'm going to you know, say it directly to her head. So she'll get to really know about Gossip Girl. And then finally, when she big enough, they did the, uh, they did the ultrasound and they're like, well, that's where her head is. And I was like, no, 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 her head's over there. And they're like, no, that's her butt. So oh. I was recapping Gossip Girl to her butt for months. That makes a lot more sense though, really. It does. Yeah. You're, you're an awful parent. Yeah, that's why she ships Serena and Dan. And I'm like, it's Blair and Dan. Blair and Dan is Ed Game. Nice. (sighs) Should we talk through these issues a little bit? Any of the big moments? Any anything? Yeah, Yeah, we just talked through your issues with your children. So let's talk through these (laughs) comments. Let's get into it. Uh, Well, why don't we? There's a lot. Before we get into it, Pete, you didn't answer. Are you going to cryogenically freeze your body um, when you die? No, no. You're just out of here? I'm out, man. I but did what, if what they I could eventually, with the time what if, that I had. 
What if they eventually um, find a cure to um, uh, and a cheese overdose? <laughs> I mean, some people after me will get to live glorious lives, you know? Nice. Uh, I, I was thinking about this because this is so dense. So we've done this before with like lock and key where we've got volume by volume. Watch where we went issue by issue. And we certainly could go issue by issue. I don't know if we necessarily have time on this podcast to do all that. So instead, I feel like jumping through and kind of talking about like some big moments, things that jumped out to you yeah. might be a great way to start. Um, was there anything in particular, like just off the top of your head, Things that struck you in particular from the 12 issues that we took a look at. Uh, I loved uh, Tom Thumb, man. Mm. Small mm-hmm. guy, super smart. You love that Fucking, he's tiny. You know, yeah. I Well, I also love that, uh, you know, he was bigger than he appeared. Like, he was super smart and got mm-hmm. a lot of things done. Ran shit behind the scenes that people didn't know about. You know, it was really the kind of linchpin that no one gave uh, credit, you know. Loved his computer. Yeah, yeah he, lo- he loved his computer. So he does have, I think, the most interesting character arc in the book. He is, like yeah. Pete said, he's super tiny. He's a super genius. He's the one who comes up with all of their machinery. And for the first couple of issues, he spends it uh, basically feeling like he's second-class citizen to the rest of the Squadron Supreme. He's like, they don't care yeah. about me. They don't like me. I'm just going to hang out with my computer friend, And that's pretty much it. And then one of these characters, Nuke, who is the first one to like basically turn bad in the comic book, finds out that his radiation powers have given his parents cancer and killed them. And so he goes to Tom Thumb and he's like, hey, why don't you cure cancer for me? And Tom's like, sure, I'll try. Nobody's done that before, but okay." He's like, great. I'll see you in a week. And (laughs) which is a crazy thing on the part of Nuke. Tom Thumb, very smart. Yes, Uh, but ultimately he doesn't do it, uh, and then it is revealed that he, Tom Thumb, in fact, has cancer himself, potentially from hanging out with Duke so much, maybe, or being around all the cancer, I don't know. Uh, And then he rather suddenly dies, and I think the one thing that I wanted to point out is there's this really sudden paddle. I'm trying to flip through now, and I'm not quite finding it. I think it's at the end of the ninth issue, I want to say. Well, it's it's just just like, like, yeah. I couldn't believe it. just like, oh, yeah, and I am I feel awful. I feel like I'm uh, not going to make it. And then it's like it just says a week later he died. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. yeah. It's a very cr- – this is the wrong emotion, but it's very Poochie died on the way back to his home planet moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, what did you think about Tom Thumb's arc, Justin? Uh, I mean, I – it definitely felt like he was the character, especially in the early part of the run, that we're supposed to be identifying with. Like, I feel like I'm, as a reader, you're in his head a lot more. He's like struggling with being a hero. He goes to the far future to try to like get this cure for cancer, um, and then refuses to take it because he doesn't want to kill Hyperion. Um, so yeah, you're you're with him for the whole ride. I mean, I definitely thought that he had been turned evil there at a point um, with the behavior modifier. Um, so he he goes through the most different things. Every all the other characters, you get sort of like big hits on them, but he has the sort of sadly sad ending journey. Yeah, yeah. It's also a weird thing, which I guess. Uh, there, there were a couple of follow-ups to this. There was Squadron Supreme Death of a Universe, and then there was another uh, crossover arc after that. Um, but 
there's this whole thing set up where one of the villains called Ape X, who's half ape, half uh, tank. I don't know. Something's going on with her. Uh, She (laughs) becomes Tom Thumb's lab assistant. They form clearly a bond. And after he dies, she's mad at him and builds a robot body. But they don't ever end up using the robot body, which was surprising to me. Like, I don't know if they use that at some later issue, but that felt like a thing where it's like, and then there's going to be a robot and it's going to do blank. But nothing happens there. Well, that's what this. There's so much going on in this comic throughout. Yeah. So like, it feels like maybe it was a lot of like put up, putting ideas out there, maybe to launch something uh, larger or whatever. But it 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 feels like they Mark didn't feel the need to use everything that was sort of on the table. Yeah, and it was also kind of an interesting choice too. Like you know, sometimes people are. You know, they have these intentions and these projects that you just don't ever get around to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know what you mean. I complete every project I'm working on. Wow. Yeah. My to-do list is always empty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Character that I really liked a lot was The Shape. Uh, This is a shape-changing guy. He's basically like Putty, uh, and he's one of the first villains that's converted using the Beamon machine and turned into a good guy. And he basically becomes this sweet simpleton who likes kids and hangs around with them. And he, to the point where he's one of the last people left standing just hanging out with the baby at the end, looking super happy as it's born. And that's another one where it just feels like it's this very subtle emotional arc happening in the background. Um, but I liked it quite a bit. Well, and I, I think the, cause one of the biggest things that I really like had me thinking is the modific the behavior modification machine and how like, rather than having it be like a simple thing of like, Oh, this thing is bad. Uh, it must be destroyed and then we'll fix everyone's brains or this thing is good. And it actually is something everyone should do. It's sort of neither and both like it is a tool that is used to like uh, harm Lark and all these other people. It does make someone like the shape make his life better. But at the end of the day, it it's something I love that you can't reverse it really. It's something yeah. that is uh, – that is such a strong choice, and it made it much more um, of, a, of a tool that I haven't seen something like that in, in many comics, I feel like. Yeah, it was, it was refreshing to see somebody make a choice and then have to sit with the, uh, the consequences instead of having to, a way to you know, fly around the earth backwards or whatever and reverse things. Like, you know, like uh, that guy did that horrible move and then had to sit with it and then – like they tried to explain it to her and she wasn't having it, you know? So it was very, it was very interesting and very cool the way that was handled. I mean, to give a little more context about it, just to mention there was, so there's this character, Lady Lark, who's like the Black Canary character. Uh, She is romanced with the, uh, romancing the Archer, who's the Green Arrow character. Uh, He proposes to her. She says no, breaks up with him to be with the Hawkman style character, Blue Eagle. uh, And he immediately throws her in the Beamon machine and makes her, her love him completely. And it goes absolutely horribly wrong. So Justin, over to you. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> you, you were going to say something. You were about to say oh, something. Oh, before. I, um, I yeah. forgot what I was going to say. Oh, okay. It was uh, about sorry. Pete's point. 
I do. I do think like talking about further connections, though, that is a plot line where it feels like. Oh, I remember now. Sorry. Yeah. So sorry. Go ahead. Um, I think one of the big things in this series is that consequences, to Pete's point, consequences matter. Um, like they'll set up, like all these heroes keep making mistakes. Um, Spectrum, uh, kills Nuke and he suffers with that, um, throughout. He becomes sort of a better person for it. Um, because at the beginning he's like, does this like dumb prank on, uh, uh, prince power princess and um then he like learns a lesson about just like growing up basically and that sticks with him like all the characters face their consequences and carry them through and even like a hyper just the premise the essential premise of them taking over america and the world and fixing it it all is about the consequences of that idea where they feel bad for having been taken over by the overmind or whatever his name is um yeah and ruining america and that guilt propels all of it forward and the consequences of that. Yeah. It's interesting uh, seeing the, there was a detail which I was not expecting about halfway through that I kind of figured, even though they said like, we're going to do this in in America right at the beginning. I was like, Oh, okay. So it's going to be the whole world. They're going to make a utopia for the whole world. But about halfway through they encounter a villain who's like, Oh yeah. While they were doing that, I took over the middle East. Like that's just sort of happening in the background. And that's a crazy thing to think about. Like maybe there is something that isn't pushed very hard, but thinking about Amerocentrism, and certainly that's something that potentially could be played with a lot more. And I do think that's something that if you're reading Avengers right now, Jason Aaron is playing with those pages where Squadron Supreme is literally the superheroes of America. And once a criminal goes over the border from America to Canada, they're like, not our problem. Yeah, we're, we're done here. And I like that. I like like picking out that detail and running with it in current comics. Yeah. And I hope that story because that's I feel like that's been boiling underneath the Avengers storyline for a while. Uh, and I'm curious when that's going to sort of become the thing. Yeah. A um, couple of other connection things that I wanted to mention, just getting back to the Lady Lark thing that strikes me as something that probably directly influenced the identity crisis. Also potentially the Wanda stuff that happened over in Avengers where she had memories taken away. I think like any storyline like that, that has very directly influenced it. Uh, were there any other characters that jumped out at you or action sequences or any sequences you wanted to chat about? Well, one thing, just a logistic thing that for the whole series, like I love how much time passes in between issues. Like it really, uh, we get to see the characters sort of stuff happens to them when we're not around and then we come back. I think that's why there are so many like business meetings, like you were saying earlier, because it is a lot of the book is like, hey, what happened since you did that fucked up thing? It's like, oh, I did more yeah. of it and now I have to feel bad about it. Um, and I think that's a nice way of telling the story. Yeah. Pete, any uh, other details you want to mention? No, I mean, I, I, I thought that, like, uh, the fights uh, were nice because, like, they, they did deal with the fallouts of those fights. And, like, it was interesting to see the kind of action and then the dealing with the consequences afterwards. And then also it was very interesting to see uh, people jumping sides and, like, people being able to listen to somebody else and be like, Oh, yeah, maybe I am on the wrong team. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, it was like, it was very interesting the way they kind of, uh, who was bad, who was good in this kind of like superhero world was very interesting as well. 
It is to that point kind of interesting to see the flip in perspective from the first two thirds of the series, maybe to the last third, where you are, like Justin has been talking about a lot, focusing on the squadron as they deal with their individual issues, uh, as they hit snags like Doc Spectrum uh, deciding not to fight anymore or Wizard, who is the Flash character, uh, getting very nervous about using his speed um, and getting violent in situations. And then in the last couple of issues, as Nighthawk's plan starts bubbling up again and he gets all these villains to work with him, and instead, like Pete's saying, it turns into this really interesting morality play where you get to see characters like The Shape who get their memories back, get their brain back, but are like... No, I like children. And then there's Foxfire, who's dating Doc Spectrum, and she's just confused. She doesn't know where she stands. And then you have other characters. I think it's Lamprey as the one who's like, time yeah. to be evil again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a monster. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so Wizard. It's playing with all this. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, another aspect I like um, sort of in that line is um, the way it was a lot about their individual lives and their families. Like, it's a lot, a lot of the, especially the first four or five issues are like, hey, this is great, but I have to go do some family stuff and then I'll catch up yeah. with you later, which I, I feel like is something you never see in comics. Um, like really people change, choosing between that work life balance. And then halfway through, I think maybe issue six or so, they all move to a city together. And so then all their families are there uh, mixing it up and, and that has just so much weight on the characters. And I, it, Right at the very beginning, we see Hyperion go and visit his, like, uh, Lois Lane um, analog. And he's Mm -hmm. like, hey, uh, sorry, I can't date you. I got to go do some other stuff. And I think that was a first tip that, like, oh, this guy doesn't have the same humanity as Superman. And that's going to be his Achilles heel. And we see that down the line with all the different characters. I love that take on Hyperion. Like, we've seen in things like Supreme Power, he just is like fucked up and evil. And there's lots of other times where Hyperion is an evil Hyperion in Marvel comics. But here it is this thing where he's like, this is the only thing I'm interested in. Everybody is sort of low key scared of him because he's so powerful. And even though he would never do anything to them, there are points where you start to see that anger really come out where he's about to let loose and it's it is kind of terrifying. Like they, I think both through the pencils and the writing, it really comes across like you're saying that he is this inhuman character, and it's it's fascinating to read. Uh, oh, go ahead, Justin. I was going to say one other thing. Um, speaking about the pencils, the art, I think that's another um, difference between this and Watchmen. Like Watchmen, Dave Gibbons pencils, like that was uh, a purposefully elevated take on comic book art. And, like, really trying to push it forward, really have that be a whole other side of the story. Well, this, the art feels, like, a little more utilitarian. Like, it is telling this comic book story. We are seeing these, uh, it's a sort of a more normal paneling style. And the characters are just, like, we're just seeing them act out the text as opposed to, in Watchmen and other sort of more can- canonical titles, the art is really like spinning things and really making you re-examine the whole storyline. Um, speaking of the art, it was fun for me to like read the kind of like 
the difference between the th- uh, thought bubble and the speaking bubble, like the little dotted lines. It was kind of fun. Uh, felt like, uh, you know, when I was a kid again, reading comics, which was kind of nostalgic and fun. But also I liked how, you know, Justin always talks about being in the characters' heads uh, when they were kind of getting like later in the book, when they were getting sworn in the bad guys and they were talking about this feeling that they had, like they were selling out and like, uh, you know, like this isn't who they are, but they feel kind of weird up there, like proclaiming to people that they're this other thing. And I thought that was very interesting because they had, we knew their plan. They knew what they were going through, but still they kind of were like, uh, you know, having these real human emotions with what was going on. And that kind of like reminded me of like when I had to like take jobs of like that aren't my dream job, but to pay rent and to do other things and how you kind of feel like, oh, this isn't where my heart, but it's a means to an end, you know, that kind of thing. So it was, it was really uh, very interesting, the different kind of thoughts that we got from all the different characters. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about uh, talking about the art about a pre-government Paul Ryan uh, doing some of the pencils here? Do you think he did a good job and it really <laughs> <laughs> paid off later? On? Uh, uh, yeah, I just wish he never left the comic book industry for so many reasons. Yes. Uh, I did want to mention, I know you guys didn't read the Captain America issue, but I want to just mention the most bonkers detail that I'd completely forgotten from comic book history. So in this crossover issue, this is where uh, Nighthawk gets sent out of the dimension of the Squadron Supreme. He gets sent to the regular Marvel Universe, and he approaches Captain America, and he's like, hey, I need some allies to help me out, to help stop Hyperion and the Squadron because they're taking over the world. It's bad news. And Captain America's like, okay, can I, can I have a quick meeting with the Fantastic Four and the Avengers? And everybody's like, well, let's not help them. And he's like, great. And then he, Captain America feels bad about it, goes with Nighthawk around to try to find other allies. So they go around the Marvel Universe and they fight people together, whatever. But the bonkers detail that has nothing to do with Squadron Supreme is in the middle of it. Uh, Steve Rogers is like, oh, real quick, I got to go to my day job and his day job at that time was as Steve Rogers, who people didn't know was Captain America. He was drawing Captain America comics. Like he was the artist on Captain America comics for Marvel comics, drawing them, which is that's that's fucked up. Yeah. Was he a good artist? Uh, Apparently in the dialogue, uh, I assume it's some editor for the time says, unbelievable, Steve, your work is unbelievable. I can't get over how you handle the action scenes. You draw like you'd actually been there to see it. He says, thanks, Mike. I must admit, I had a few problems here and there. And then there's some other artists who's like, lousy Steve Rogers on his Ooh. first job. <laughs> Very yeah. Peter Parker way of dealing with uh, Captain yes. America. I mean, in general, seeing the other Marvel characters in this book, you see them a little bit sort of throughout. Yeah. You see Thor, Captain America. It's weird. Yes. Uh, it's like, oh, you're not. This feels like a mistake. Uh, <laughs> right. It would be like in the middle of Watchmen if Martian Manhunter walked through and was like, what's going on here? What are you guys yeah. up to? You watching stuff? <laughs> yeah. what's, what's happening? Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it is like. That's the other thing about the beginning of the book. When I was starting to read it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. It really feels like there's this really lived-in world where all these events have happened previously, and they're jumping right into it. And then I remembered, I was like, all right, there are like 15, 20 issues involving Squadron Supreme before this even happened. So it was actually set up, and they're not just like cutting in to this dystopian world. Yeah. Um, 
And then they're also setting up more comics after that. So it's much more part of an ongoing story. That might be something to the point you're kind of making might have uh, Justin might have hurt its legacy a little bit. Yeah, I think so. This is definitely of uh, Marvel continuity where a book like Watchmen is uh, out, whether it was meant, it was meant to be initially or not is outside of continuity and it's much better served for that. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Any additional things you want to say about Squadron Supreme, Pete? I think that, um, it's definitely worth checking out, and all those people who tell you uh, you got to read Squadron Supreme, you should listen to them because uh, it's definitely <laughs> working out. But like you know, um, we gotta we gotta have you know better care of our superheroes. It's, if they want to have a baby, they should be able to have a baby and not risk that baby's life by fighting bad guys. You know, mm. wow, great, great thought, Justin. Any final thoughts on Squadron Supreme? Uh, this is a it's a great series to read. It's such a time capsule and uh, of this time in comics history, and it's an, it's packed with ideas. So much stuff happens in this book. Uh, we were talking earlier about there's just so much back and forth, characters changing their perspective, uh, villains becoming heroes, uh, heroes becoming villains. It's a great just standalone <laughs> series to pick up, uh, especially now that we have time to read. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And it is also like, it's a big read. I kind of left not quite enough time to read it where I was like, all right, I'll just read like an issue or two a night. And I'd get about halfway through and I'd be like, oh my God, this is really long. There's just so many things you forget reading comics nowadays where it's like, great, 20 pages and done. How much stuff happens in an 80s comic? And this is very much an 80s comic, but uh, one of the best of an 80s comic, like if you're going to go back and read something, like you guys are saying, it's definitely worth your time. I enjoyed reading it. Um, There's definitely things that like do not hold up in dialogue that just are laugh out loud funny and do not feel like anything anybody would write right now, but that's the smallest iota of it. Most of it is so well written, so well thought out, great characters. It gets you emotionally. The action is really good as well. Um, a lot of fun. Definitely pick it up. A lot of yeah. fun. All right. Yeah, there you go. That is it for our throwback stack on Squadron throwback Supreme. Stack. Definitely let us know what you want us to talk about next time. We would love yeah. to do more throwback stacks, really delve into stuff. Uh, Pete, you have any picks? Anything we should uh, be checking out for next time, you think? No, but I'm sure when people write in, we'll ignore them until a wrestler like yells at us and makes us do something. You know what I mean? That's the only reason I do well, anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, I think I would love to hear some suggestions of stuff that we don't normally talk about that we need to go back and read or reread yeah. because uh, I'm into it. Yeah, definitely hit us up at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your the choice to listen. Choice. <laughs> listen and subscribe to the show. Uh, also, we are doing a live to the internet show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. So come hang out. We're answering your questions. They've been a ton of fun to do. We'd definitely love to see you there. And we'll see you next time on The Stack.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.